Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We continue in our series, In the Upper Room with Jesus. And the title of my message today is simply this, Failure does not define me. Failure does not define me. Failure. Such a horrible word, isn't it? Such a horrible word. And I don't know anyone who enjoys failure in any sense of that word. Yet each and every single one of us has failed at times. Times in the past, and we'll fail again in the future. And maybe there are people here this morning in this room or watching online who are in the midst of experiencing what you believe some type of failure in your life right now. Failures are common to all people, and yet failure is experienced in a a variety of different ways. It all depends on the individual. Some are crushed beneath the weight of failure and never recover, but others can use failure as as motivation, and they start to get mobilized by that failure. They use their failures as a launching pad to the future. And I read a great article on Forbes magazine website about failures, and the title of the magazine was Rock Bottom, How Great Leaders Triumph Over Failure. And it's a great article that describes how highly successful people like Abraham Lincoln, Steve Jobs, and Nelson Mandela overcome setbacks, overcome immense failures that they experienced in life. Steve Jobs. He was fired from his own company, Apple. He co-founded Apple with his friend when he was just 21 years old. By the time he was 23, he was a millionaire. But when he was 30 30 years old and beyond uh, rich, a worldwide success, it all came crashing down. And he was fired by the board of the billion-dollar company that he started. And years later, in a commencement speech he gave to graduates at Stanford University, Steve Jobs said these words. He said, I was out and very publicly out. What had been the focus of my entire adult life was gone, and it was devastating. I was a public failure. And in the same address, he said, on to say, you have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart, even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And if you know the story of Apple, you know that he was rehired, And that's when he went on to create the iPhone and the the iPod and all of these kind of stuff after he was rehired back in that company. Then we think about Nelson Mandela, and he spent 27 years in prison before he became the first person to to be elected president by a fully democratic election in South Africa. For 27 years, Nelson Mandela kept a slip of paper in his pocket that had the words from a poem called Inviticus by William Ernest Henley, inscribed on the paper. And the last lines of the poem read, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And Abraham Lincoln, well, he failed in business. He had a nervous breakdown. And he was defeated in eight elections before being elected as the 16th president of America. Let me tell you, there are many ways to deal with failure. Some people are just plain tough. They're fighters. They have this never-say-die attitude who view failure as just a simply another challenge to overcome. But others draw their inspiration 
to press on, maybe through meaningful lines in a poem or an inner belief in themselves or the encouragement of others. But for every story of the resurrection of Nelson Mandela from a prison cell to the pinnacle of power, there are countless stories of, for whom poetry and prose could never ever lift them out of the pit of failure. And for those who have chosen to follow Jesus, to trust Jesus through the deep dark valleys of failure, there's another, sense, uh, another source of strength and redemption that I want to talk about this morning. And I want to use Simon Peter as our case study today. And in a scripture which is found in John 13, verses 36 through 38, it revolves all around Jesus' discussion with Peter. So let's have a read there at John 13, 36 to 38. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Amen. Some encouraging words for Jesus there, eh? Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. See, Jesus has been trying to prepare his disciples for the time that he will leave them. But Peter's mind has been preoccupied with other matters. He didn't want Jesus to leave. He wouldn't stand for it. He would do everything in his power to make sure that Jesus remained with him. And when Jesus told Peter that he couldn't follow him now, but that he would follow him later, Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Those are bold words that Peter speaks there. Bold words. I will lay down my life for you. Peter was willing to die for Jesus and Peter's boldness is well documented. It's been preserved in the annals of history. I will die for you, Jesus. Yet if you read the other Gospels, you'll quickly learn that Peter wasn't the only one who spoke with such boldness. Let me show you just what I'm talking about. In Matthew 26, 31 through to 35, we read there, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then the next sentence, which is not in the story we read in John, it says, and all the other disciples said the same. All the other disciples said the same. Where did that come from? We've always known about Peter. He's well documented for denying Jesus three times. But what, did you know about the rest of the disciples? They were declaring their allegiance with the exact same boldness as, as Peter was. And this isn't an isolated observation. We read the same story in Mark 14, 27 to 31. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the shepherd will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself have disowned me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. 
All of these guys were speaking with the same conviction, the same boldness. And why wouldn't they? They loved Jesus. He was their life. And they thought of him leaving them, of him dying was something they would do absolutely anything to try and prevent. Yeah, it was Peter who denied Jesus. All of us remember that it was Peter who denied Jesus. Peter's denial that he never ever knew Jesus is recorded in all four Gospels. We see it in Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75. In Mark 14, 66 to 72. Luke 22, 54 through 62. John 18, 15 through 27. But let's have a little look at Matthew's account of that incident. So Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. And I want you to think about something that struck me when I was preparing this message. And you know, you always get critics who try and dismiss God's word as nothing more than an invention of man. But I want you to consider this. Consider the story about one of Jesus' closest friends, one of the leaders of the early church. If the Bible was nothing more than propaganda of Jesus, Jesus' followers, wouldn't it make perfect sense to leave out a story that would cast any negative light on the church's leaders? To really understand what I'm driving at, all you have to do is take a look at British history, Scottish history, or the history of your own family. We like to cast our favorite leaders in a favorable light, don't we? We like to cast our favorite leaders in a favorable light. We don't want to show them warts and all. When we speak about our own families, we tell stories of our parents, our grandparents, our aunts and uncles, and we leave out the, the bits that might not be for public consumption. But the Bible, the Bible is not written that way at all. The men and women of God's word, they lived messy lives. They lived messy lives. They are examples for us. Examples of sinners saved not by their goodness, but solely by the grace of God. And Peter is a great example of what I'm talking about. I want to tell you that at least two things that I've noticed, which led to Peter's fall, which I have, think have great relevance for you and me today. And the first thing I see about Peter, that he was overconfident. He was overconfident. You see, there's no doubt in my mind that what Peter said in the upper room, he meant with all of his heart. He meant it. Yet when a young servant girl pointed out that Peter had been with Jesus, Peter snapped back at her. I don't know what you're talking about. Peter had the best of intentions and was full of confidence in the comfortable confines of that upper room. But when the heat was on, his confidence and willingness started to wither. And we should learn well from Peter's denial of Jesus because we are times much like Peter. How many times in the safety of the four walls of this church or in the confines of your living room when you've worshipped along online or you've 
been amongst your friends and life group, and you've boasted of our love for Jesus. We've sang the songs, we've given our all and worship, only to find ourselves unable to speak when others mocked and maligned the name of Jesus in our workplaces, in our schools, or out in the streets, and we've stood there rigid with fear, scared to say a word. And there's another lesson for us waiting in this story of Peter. See, I've heard people talk about Peter's denial of Jesus in such a way that they would have you believe that if they had been in Peter's shoes, they'd have done something totally different. That somehow in that moment, they would never ever disown Jesus. That they would proclaim boldly to all in attendance that they knew Jesus. That they were best buds with Jesus. That they did life with him. Who wouldn't want to admit that? And it's easy for them to say that. It's easy for them to say that within the confines of their church or behind the screen of their computers. It's easy. And they are the same people who look down upon those who get caught in some sort of moral, moral failure or some sin in their life, and they shake their head as if, it couldn't, as if they can't understand how something like that might happen. They see people in the gutter and they start pointing fingers rather than offering a hand to pull them up. They criticize they would never be susceptible to such a failure in their life. They are much too holy for that. Then they get behind their computers and their keyboards and they let rip behind the safety of their computer screen or their phone. Let me give you a bit of friendly advice. If that's you, don't be that person. Don't be that person. One day you may end up in the gutter yourself. So when you see somebody in the gutter in that moral failure and that sin, don't be pointing the finger. Put your hand out. Pull them up. Pull them up. One day that could be you in that situation. One day it could be you. One day it could be me. Why? Because we're all vulnerable to sin schemes. Are we not? All of us are vulnerable. We are all sinners. And all of us who are prone to wander and stray, every single one of us, those who think that they have somehow grown beyond sin's temptations, they are the most likeliest to fall and to fall hard. Paul wrote to the people of Corinth and he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Be careful, my friends. Don't become overconfident in your own abilities. I would encourage you to be awed by Jesus' love for you and not to be too impressed by your love for him. I would also encourage you to be ever mindful of the sin that is always lurking at the door of your heart and at the door of mine. Being aware of our vulnerability will prevent us from looking down on others whose sins are written about online and broadcast over the evening news. But even more importantly, it will prevent us from becoming overconfident and helping us to find our strength in Jesus alone. And the second thing I see about Peter that led to his downfall, led to his failure, is a failure to pray. See, before Peter even denied that he knew Jesus, he was taken by Jesus into the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And Jesus left some of the disciples in one place, and he he went off one place, and he took Peter, James, and John with him further into the garden. And then Jesus told them to keep watch with him, and then Jesus went a little further, and he fell to the ground, and he was praying. And at some point, Jesus got, got back up and went back to check on Peter, James, and John. And what were they doing? They were given the big Zs. They were sound asleep. 
So let's have a look and see what happened. Mark 14 at verse 37, we pick up the story. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. Are they not the truest words that we've heard all week? How often do we have the best of intentions and we lack the follow-through? It's what Jesus said before this sentence, so that's so vitally important for you and me. And Jesus said, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. We have to watch, we have to keep our eyes open, we have to be aware of what's going on around us and within us. Along with watching though, we must pray. We need to seek God's sovereign hand to strengthen us, to alert us, and to preserve us from the many temptations that seek to overtake us on a daily basis. Peter slept, and then Peter slipped. Peter slept, and then Peter slipped. You and I need to watch and pray so that we don't fall into temptation. And I find it really interesting that Jesus prayed for Peter when Peter wouldn't take time to pray for himself. And you might be wondering what I'm talking about when I say that. So let me just show you. In Luke's account of Jesus' conversation with Peter, he tells us in Luke 22, verses 31 through 34, it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned your back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. And there's several sermons you could preach out of those three verses. But I want to focus in on Jesus' prayer for Peter. Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And then Jesus told Peter that he had prayed for him that his faith might not fail. See, Jesus knew all about Peter's trial before Peter ever thought of denying Jesus. And some would then question Jesus' statement that he had prayed and that Peter's faith may not fail and say that that was a failed prayer on behalf of Jesus. But let me tell you, I would disagree with that analysis. Peter denied Jesus. He he failed the test. Absolutely. But Peter would not be defined by that failure. Now, before, before we start to think that Peter was somehow the ultimate comeback kid, that he somehow pulled himself up by the bootstraps and regrouped, I want to assure you that he did none of those things. Peter wept like a baby when he realized what he had done. Peter wouldn't be defined by his failure, by his denial of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus reached out to him and Jesus restored him. And let me tell you how it happened. See, after Jesus' resurrection, Peter said, I'm going fishing. He went back to what he knew. I'm going fishing. And some of the other disciples went with him. They had been in the water all night, but they hadn't caught a single thing. And early in the morning, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize him. And when Peter realized it was Jesus, he jumped in the water and he swam for all his might straight towards Jesus. Just a thing that Peter would do. Jesus cooked some fish, broke bread, and turned to Peter. And we pick up the story in John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And there's a real interesting thing going on in this story which we cannot see in our English translations of the Bible. See, the first two times that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He uses the Greek word agape for love the first two times that he asks him. Peter, of course, answers, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter uses the Greek word phileo for love. Agape love is the kind of love that God would have for us, the kind of love that is defined in John 3, 16, when it says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. But Peter uses the Greek word for love that describes the kind of love that we would have for our friends. For example, Philadelphia being known as the city of brotherly love. However, the last time that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus used Peter's word, filio, and it totally crushed Peter. And there's different ideas about why Peter was crushed in that moment. But I believe that Peter was, was crushed because he honestly couldn't say that he loved Jesus with the highest form of love. Jesus then told Peter what would take place in the future. Peter had said that he was willing to die for Jesus back in that upper room and his opportunity would come one day. Church tradition tells us that Peter was crucified under Emperor Nero's persecution in 64 AD. And church tradition also says that Peter was allowed to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel that he was worthy enough to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. But before he would die though, God would use Peter in incredible ways. He was the main speaker at the birth of the church at Pentecost when 3,000 people got saved. He was the leader of the early church. He was the author of two letters in the New Testament. Let me tell you, forget Dwayne Johnson. Peter is the original rock. Peter is the original rock. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll explain to you later. But let me tell you, there's not one of us here this morning or watching online who has not failed at some point. Not one. But there are some of us who are here this morning or watching online and they've allowed that failure to define you, define who you are. And the enemy, the enemy has used your failure to convince you that you are a failure. Not that you've failed, but you are a failure. Your failure has become so deeply ingrained into your heart and mind that you've been questioning how God could love someone like you, a miserable failure. But let me tell you, as long as you have breath in your lungs, you have a chance. It may feel like the world was finished with you, but let me tell you, God is not finished with you yet. Maybe you've failed, but let me tell you, you're not a failure. You've made a mistake, but you are not a mistake. There's power in rising up after that fall. And let me remind you really quickly of five important things if you feel a failure. Firstly, the first thing I want you to remember, it's not about falling, it's about getting back up. We're all going to fall at some time, we're all going to fail at some point, I'm going to make mistakes, but the question is, what will you do after the fall? Will you get back up? 
Proverbs 24, 16 says, for, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. They rise again. All of us will fail and fall at some point. The question is, will you wallow in that self-pity or will you rise up and try again? Second thing is, your mistakes are a portal to possibility. God's grace is there for us to learn how to grow from our failures. There's always something to learn, an area to improve and an opportunity to grow. And if we, if we will get back up, we will see that each mistake is a doorway to discovery. Not a doorway to destruction, but a doorway to discovery. Micah 7 and 8 says, Lo, I have fallen, I will rise. Lo, I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And then thirdly, God does not define you by your mistakes. Even after, even Peter, after his worst mistake, after he denied Jesus, let me tell you, he was counted among the disciples and he had a powerful experience in the upper room when Jesus appeared. He was even called by name after Jesus' resurrection. It's so subtle. In Mark 16, verse 7, it says, speaking to the, the woman at the empty tomb, the angel said, but go, tell his disciples and Peter. Peter is mentioned only Peter, tell his disciples and Peter. Peter's mistakes didn't define him. He went on to preach on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. Healed the lame beggar at the temple gate. He rebooked Simon the sorcerer. He prayed for countless people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He prayed for Tabitha to be raised to life from the dead, and she was. God showed him that the gospel was for Gentiles, which is non-Jewish people, by sending him to Cornelius' house. Peter showed great leadership at the council in Jerusalem. He was the author of two letters in the New Testament. And let me tell you, don't forget that he is the only person apart from Jesus who walked on water. Failure. What failure? What failure? Fourthly, there's still life after you fall. The world may see you as washed up and finished, but God sees your destiny beyond falling. And I love the story in Acts 20 of the guy falling asleep when Paul preached. The Bible says that he fell into a deep sleep as Paul preached on and on and on. Hope nobody's falling asleep like that today. But it says, and then he fell out of the third story window and he was pronounced dead at the bottom. And we read in Acts 20 at verse 9, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and fell on him, embracing him, said, do not trouble yourself, for his life is in him. If you're not dead yet, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. There's still life in you after the fall. And then fifthly, there's value in restoration. Your life is a masterpiece and your failures don't have to be final. If you will allow God to restore you, His grace and mercy will make your future priceless. Isaiah 61.3 says, To give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil for, of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Now nah, read done nothing. Come on. Come on, that gets me excited in the mornings to give up to them beauty for ashes, the oil for joy, for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Come on. And the band comes, and we wrap this up. See, it's not in God's plan for you to give up after you've made a mistake. Our value in Jesus isn't the, the, diminished in some way by our flaws. Our righteousness is not determined by how many times we fall, rather by the number of times that we get back up. You may have made bad choices. Maybe you even got what you wanted, but you don't have to keep what you got. 
Trade in your failure for forgiveness. Pick yourself up and press forward into your destiny. I don't know your story, but I know his. The greatest gift that's ever been given in the history of the world was given because of our failure. Our sin separated us from God, but God sent his son to redeem you, to restore you, to back to himself and then claim you as his very own. Let me tell you, God loves failures. He loves them enough that he sent Jesus to come and die for them. The world might tell you you're a failure, but you're not defined by that mistake. He loves to lift us out of that pit of failure and set us on a path of life life and purpose, all for his glory. And the question is today, won't you invite him in? Won't you invite him in? And in these moments, I would love just to pray for every single person here. Firstly, I'd love to pray if you've never ever met Jesus if you somehow felt that your mistakes in life, that your past somehow excluded you from the love of Jesus, let me tell you, that could not be any further from the truth. Despite our failures, despite our our faults, God sent Jesus to die for us, to restore us back to him. And he would love to be restored back to you. And And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be a perfect person. You don't have to have it all together. You just have to simply admit, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. Won't you forgive me and help me become a new person today? The Bible tells us that we will become a new creation. We don't have to be defined by our failures. We can have life and life in all its abundance when we come to Jesus. I'd love to pray for you if you've never ever met Jesus. The second thing I want us to do, we'd love to pray for you guys today. If you feel like you're a failure, You've messed up. Somehow the world would reject you. If people only knew what you were really like, people wouldn't want anything to do with you. That's what you believe in your head. I want to pray for you today that you'll realize how much God loves you, that you're not defined by your mistakes and your failures. You're defined by who Jesus says you are. And he says that you are a wonderful creation, that you are God's masterpiece, and that you can rise up again after that fall. And so every single head bowed and every eye closed, let me pray. If, if you've never ever given your life to Jesus, I would love to pray for you today. Just simply pop your hand up and say, Stephen, pray for me. I would love to meet Jesus today. I would see that. I'll pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Or maybe you're here today and you feel like you are failed in some way. You feel like, oh man, if only he knew what I've done. If only he knew the things I've done wrong in my life. Let me tell you, God knows already. He still loves you. And I'd love to pray for you. And I want to encourage you, if you could be bold enough to stand up today and say, Stephen, I've made mistakes. I've done things wrong, but I want to walk in that. That failure is not going to define me. And if that's you, can I just encourage you as a band, please? I want to, to just to pray over you today. Nobody's watching. If you feel that's you, you feel like you're letting your failures define who you are and what you're doing, then please just stand. Be bold, be brave. Forget about the person next to you. This is between you and Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray for those people who are standing today. Father, I pray for those of us who know we should be standing and we chose not to. Father, I just pray that you'll come into those people's lives. You'll show them that they are indeed not a failure. Father, their failures do not define who they are. You and you alone define who they are as people. Holy Spirit, I pray today 
that you'll come and you'll minister to those people standing, minister to those who are sitting today, Father. Help them to realize how much you love them, how much you want to journey with them. Help them to become the people that you created them to be. And so, Father, I just pray that from this moment forward, they will not be defined by their failures and the things that have been wrong in the past, but they'll step into a new future with you, walking as you intended them to walk. And so, Jesus, I thank you and praise you that you have great plans and purposes for every single one of us, that our failures do not define us, that you want us to go on and be your people and do incredible things. And so, Father, I thank you today for that. I thank you for the great example of Peter. Father, I just thank you. Also, your word to show us people who messed up, but that didn't define who they are, and you still use them mightily. And I pray you'll use all of us mightily today for your glory, for your honor, and your praise. And I thank you and praise you for this. In Jesus' name, you can be seated now. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.